The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to a special episode of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are going to be discussing the latest release in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Black Panther. Black Panther is directed by Ryan Coogler and stars Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o, Danea Guerrera, Martin Freeman, Daniel Kuleya, Letitia White, Winston Duke, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker, and Andy Serkis. Overall, I really enjoyed this movie. Call it maybe an 8 out of 10. It is a very solid entry both into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and a very solid opening salvo for Black Panther. What I will say about the movie is that it is very much in accordance with the Marvel formula. Over the last several films, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Thor Ragnarok, we have seen Marvel slowly changing the formula and adapting so that things don't become too boring, too predictable. And my only complaint is that Marvel came right back to form with the original Marvel formula, and although this is a masterful execution of that formula, I would have liked to have seen them push the limit a little bit more with this film. Additionally, I think the acting was extremely strong, especially from the supporting cast. And I'll get into that in a little bit more. I think Chadwick Boseman does a perfectly fine job as Black Panther as T'Challa, but I think the real standout performances were the supporting cast members. So the story we have is kind of your standard fair Marvel origin story, and it picks up about a week after the events of Civil War. The story opens with Black Panther pulling his ex-girlfriend out of a mission in order to attend his coronation as the new king of Wakanda. After his coronation, Black Panther decides to go after Ulysses Claw, a kind of secondary side character villain that we saw in Avengers Age of Ultron, who sold Ultron a mass of Wakandan vibranium. In parallel with the story, we are introduced to Eric Killmonger, who, as it turns out, is Black Panther's cousin, is of royal blood. And progressively, the story moves to a point where the two of them come to a head. Killmonger challenges T'Challa to a ritual combat for the right to wear the crown. Initially, Killmonger wins, and Killmonger decides that he wants to change the way that Wakanda does business. Until now, Wakanda has been what is effectively xenophobic and completely isolationist, going so far as to cloak their capital city, so that to the outside world, Wakanda appears to be a third world country full of farmers and herders. And that, that's kind of a reoccurring joke periodically throughout the movie, as we, the audience, knows that there's a lot more to Wakanda, but the outside world, the UN, uh, Martin Freeman's character of Everett Ross, none of them understand what Wakanda's full potential is. Now that he's in control, Killmonger wants to help all of the African peoples of the world, and he wants to do this by distributing weapons and helping them rise up and overthrow their oppressors. Historically, Wakanda has always been opposed to 
fighting unless it is in their own self-defense, unless it is absolutely necessary. So this is a fairly radical change in policy for Wakanda. Obviously, our hero T'Challa comes back and is able to confront and defeat Killmonger, taking back the mantle of King. Now, I think one of the important things that's worth noting here is that when you watch the film, you expect that Killmonger wants to change the status quo and that T'Challa wants to maintain it the way it is. And in the end, T'Challa really takes the middle road and that he begins to open up Wakanda and its technology and its social progress to the world, not as a conqueror, as Killmonger wanted, but through social outreach and education. So in a lot of ways, T'Challa still turns his back on the history and tradition of Wakanda, but he does so in a way that I think is more in keeping with and more honoring of that tradition. Again, the plot is somewhat predictable, right? Michael B. Jordan coming into the picture and his character of Killmonger briefly overthrowing T'Challa and then T'Challa coming back and reclaiming his rightful throne. A lot of those kinds of elements are very predictable. The fact that Killmonger ends up being the negative version of Black Panther, the Golden Jaguar, I think also has a lot to do with that that Marvel formula. A lot of initial Marvel villains, especially in solo films, really are kind of the mirror image of the hero. In Iron Man, you have Ironmonger. In Thor, you have Loki. In Ant-Man, you have Yellow Jacket. Even to a large extent in like Captain America, you have Red Skull, whose origin has changed a little bit in that in the films, Captain America and Red Skull are both the result of Dr. Erskine's experiments. Unfortunately, I think the originality when it comes to plot is a bit lacking. Now, there are, like I mentioned, some elements that give it a little bit more of a unique feel, and I think that goes a long way into keeping my interest. But it's small interchangeable elements as opposed to large plot themes and threads. Now, as for our cast, Chadwick Boseman does a very respectable job as T'Challa. I think he carries himself appropriately for the status of his character. He holds himself like a king and like someone born to rule. He has that level of presence and that calm, cool, in-control demeanor, and I think he does that very well. I don't particularly see him having changed or having evolved any in the role since Civil War, but again, his part in Civil War was really fairly minimal, so I don't know that a whole lot of evolution and change in the character is really necessary at that point. When we get to Infinity War and then into what I assume will be the inevitable Black Panther sequel, I certainly want to see some character evolution. In terms of Michael B. Jordan as Eric Killmonger, I was really on the border of this one. Michael B. Jordan was very good in Creed. He was very bad in Fantastic Four. And this was going to be kind of my make or break for him, was his performance in this film. And in terms of that, I have not given up on Michael B. Jordan as a result. There were some really good really strong acting moments for him, especially when Killmonger's talking to his father and it goes back and forth between the character being a child and being the adult. When he's the adult, Jordan does a very good job of portraying someone who is trying not to give in to the emotions you know he's feeling. And even with that, he still breaks a little bit and it's very nicely done. I think the character is written a little bit too over the top, a little bit too cliche. And so Jordan has to deal with that and he does a 
reasonably good job with the material that he's given. If he were given better material, I believe that he would have done better. Martin Freeman's character, I really could have done without in the film. I don't know that he serves a whole lot of purpose except to try and tie this film in with the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and tie the film back to Civil War outside of just Black Panther. So I could have done without Martin Freeman. Andy Serkis, on the other hand, did a fantastic job as Ulysses Claw. The rest of the cast is so serious that Andy Serkis does a brilliant job of breaking that up up just a little bit. His character is goofy and maniacal, and he just does a very, very good job with it. Now, as I mentioned, I think the supporting cast is really where this film shines. And honestly, my three favorite supporting cast members are the three most prominent women in the film. Lupita Nyong'o, Danae Gurria, and Letitia Wright. And I hope I'm pronouncing their names correctly because I have a lot of respect for the acting chops these women have. So the, the three women uh, each respectively play the general in charge of Black Panther's bodyguard, Black Panther's love interest, and his sister, who is the chief scientist for Wakanda. And all three of them did a fantastic job in their roles. I really enjoy Laputa Nyong'a from Star Wars, from the most recent trilogy editions, as Maz Kanata. She is a fantastic actress, and as the general, she does a an amazing job. The character is strong, the character is absolutely confident and capable, and is a true believer. There is a point at which the Nye's character tries to bring the general over to kind of the rebel side and not back Killmonger. And the general discusses and says, I am sworn to protect the throne. I serve the throne. And you can hear in her voice how much that statement pains her. The fact that she protects the throne and the person who sits on the throne is someone she doesn't believe in. They're an outsider and they are going contrary to what is in the best benefit of Wakanda. But she has that honor and that commitment and she cannot allow herself to turn away from it. This is what she does. This is who she is. This is her job and she is going to do it to the best of her ability no matter how much it pains her. Now when Black Panther shows up at the end she willingly changes allegiance because the person whom she believes she owes allegiance to is still alive. Initially I was not particularly impressed with Danaea because it felt to me that the love interest was not going to do much. Initially it felt like she was there purely as the love interest and I just wasn't sold on the connection between them. I think that was actually one of the few places Chadwick Boseman falls short as at least in this character is there was not a whole lot of chemistry going on there. However, once T'Challa dies or is presumed dead, her character takes on a whole different role in trying to overthrow Killmonger. And I think at that point, that's when I was sold on the character, when she steps up and is not focused on Black Panther, she's focused on Wakanda and doing the right thing. And so she goes and offers the powers of the Black Panther to the individual who, before Killmonger showed up, was Black Panther's greatest rival probably in Mbaku played by Winston Duke and that whole sequence between the two of them and then her role in the final fight really sold me on the character and then finally uh Letitia Wright as Black Panther's sister she had me from basically moment one when she really as the person of science 
pushed back on the ritual and the traditions of the society, but not to an extent to just completely disregard them. She honored them, but was still mildly subversive about it. And I, I love that. To be perfectly honest, that is something I always relate to myself, that mildly subversive yet still honoring, I guess, stereotype so that was a character I, can, I could get behind and she's just very passionate about what she does and about her work and again i can understand that i can respect that and i can get behind it and she really sold me on the character the last two individuals that are worth mentioning are angela bassett as ramonda black panther's mother and forrest whitaker as zuri who is the high priest and was his father's close friend i mean both are superb actors. I don't know that I have ever seen a film that I didn't like Forrest Whitaker in. So that bar is set pretty high, but at the same time, Forrest Whitaker always is up to expectations. And Angela Bassett really was a a rock throughout this whole movie. She was there holding scenes down, keeping everyone together, and really at times was kind of the anchor that other people could play around. And it was very, very strong performance on her part. Now, one of the best things about this film is the physical design. Obviously, the film takes place in a fictional African country, so you can't just go find that country, find the culture, and then adapt it to the film. What Marvel had to do is really come up with an adaptation of various different African cultures, mesh them together in a somewhat seamless manner, and that gives us our Wakandan culture. Now, one of the things I love most about this is there is a Star Trek kind of element to this. And what I mean is that in Star Trek, when you look at the various pieces of technology, you can almost immediately identify what culture it belongs to. This is the Federation, this is the Romulans, this is the Klingons, and that really plays across most of Star Trek. In this, I can look at a piece of technology and say, yes, absolutely, that is Wakanda. And I like that. It gives it a unique identity, which I think is something this culture needs and if it was lacking, I think a lot of the film would fall flat. And this design element is not just the technology. It is in the clothing. It is in the the buildings. I loved the buildings. Oh, I love the buildings. I loved the buildings because they looked African. And I guess more to the point, they didn't look European. Right? This is an entirely separate culture. They're not influenced by Western Europe. They're not influenced by other outside cultures and you look at the buildings and you can tell yes this is a technologically advanced society and to some extent building and architecture has to follow some similar basic kind of guidelines for structures to be able to function right that's just basic engineering but beyond that there is a certain aesthetic that come from the culture if you look at a new york skyscraper and then you look at something in like tokyo or shanghai or singapore there are differences look at dubai again all of these cultures have made these these skyscrapers but they all look and feel different based on the aesthetics of the culture and i like that wakanda has its own aesthetic the other thing i really liked about the design is a lot of the interior shots especially in uh, shuri's lab because almost inevitably when you see a lab and honestly even when we saw the lab in the easter egg at the end of civil war you know it wasn't that interesting labs are typically white metal tables very sterile really uninteresting to be perfectly honest i think the most interesting labs that i have seen in film are various q labs from the james bond film because q would go to all kinds of different crazy locations or his lab would basically be like an english parlor 
which was very bizarre, but very cool. And much like Q's labs were super, super, super English, Shuri's lab is very African. I mean, the murals on the wall, I mean, the, again, the technology design is fits very, very well, but they were just, they were so different from what I would think of as a laboratory. But when I saw it, there wasn't any kind of cognitive dissonance there. They said, this is the lab. And I said, yeah, that's the lab. It's a different lab than what I'm used to seeing, but it is absolutely a laboratory. So let's talk about a little bit about what I didn't like about the film. Overall, I think the action sequences were pretty good, but there were a few times in the action sequences, specifically in the opening fight against the slaver convoy, and in the final fight on the train platform, it was a little too heavy on the, the shaky cam, a little too heavy on the CGI. Each has its own problem there. The opening fight was a little too heavy on the shaky cam. They were doing it at night, and a lot of the fight was lit up by gunfire, by the flash from the rifles. And then on top of that, the camera shook. I think that the director would have gotten a similar effect to what they wanted if they had held the camera steady and just gone off of the muzzle flash lights. We've seen that before in dozens of other movies, and I think it works just fine, and it's a little bit cleaner than what we got at the beginning of Black Panther. At the end, during the fight on the train platform, we had a little bit of a different problem, where the CGI was a little bit excessive, and it really became obvious that I wasn't watching two people fight, I was watching two CGI characters fight, and that's unfortunate, because throughout all the rest of the film, they did a really great job of convincing me that the people People were fighting, that this is a real place and real people lived in it. And now on this final fight, this climactic scene, they break that illusion a little bit. It's not to say that the fight was bad. And I think the conclusion of the film and the fight was priceless. It was just almost perfectly executed. However, up until that point, when you get two CGI, what amounted to almost blobs fighting one another at times, I started getting a little kind of bored. Now the ending to the fight, especially when T'Challa takes Killmonger up to watch the sunset like his father promised to do all those years ago in Oakland. I started getting a little choked up, I'm not gonna lie. Maybe it was because I was sleep deprived or maybe it's because I'm still fairly new at being a father and I'm looking forward to sharing all those kinds of things with my son. But the two of them talking really for the first time as cousins, as family, about how, how beautiful their home is and how amazing everything is. And then Black Panther offers Killmonger the chance to live and Killmonger decides that he he can't live in the society that Black Panther wants and that Black Panther is going to rule. And then inevitably the two of them are going to come to conflict again and he pulls out the knife. That was kind of a little bit of a heart-wrenching moment there and it was a really good way to end that. Now, speaking of the ending of the movie, there are, of course, the standard Marvel Easter eggs. The first Easter egg I thought was really, really good. I actually think that should have been how the movie ended. I think that should have been the closing sequence. And the Easter egg is Black Panther addressing Addressing the United Nations in a similar fashion as his father did when his father was killed and announcing that Wakanda is going to start these social and technological outreach programs. And one of the United Nations members asks Black Panther what a nation of farmers and herders could possibly have to offer the rest of the world. And there's a very knowing smile that comes across Chadwick Boseman's face as well as Martin Freeman's face. Because Martin Freeman's in the back of the room. And it's a really great subtle moment I think it would have been a better ending for the film. Now, the second Easter egg, because now in the age of Marvel films, there are always at least two Easter eggs, is Shuri on the shore of a lake and out of a hut 
comes Bucky, who is awake. And she is here to help teach him. It's not clear as to what. She says, you have much to learn. But Bucky is awake after we saw him go into deep freeze at the end of Civil War. And they put him in this deep freeze so that they could figure out a way to deprogram him from his Soviet-era programming that allowed people to have control of him like they did during Civil War. So, obviously, Bucky has been able to overcome this programming in some way and obviously we don't know how i wouldn't call it a letdown but obviously we already knew that bucky was gonna be unfrozen because of his prominent role in the infinity war trailer that and his hair's prominent role so wasn't all that much of an easter egg wasn't all that much of a surprise i kind of wish it had gone on just a little bit longer and given us a little bit more information i think maybe that would have made it a more worthwhile little little tidbit little tease but it wasn't bad it was just kind of okay that that's nice last thing i want to talk about is the box office so black panther was looking to have a big weekend no matter what i mean this is one of the biggest i don't say hyped but biggest marvel openings in a while we knew this was going to be a big movie based on the reviews based on the ticket pre-sales all of that. I don't think we quite understood how big this was going to be. Black Panther, for the three-day weekend total, is at $192 million. It's currently about $800,000 over Avengers Age of Ultron, and this slides right in at the number two spot for highest opening weekend for an MCU film, only right behind Avengers. For the four-day weekend, because it is coming out over the President's Day holiday weekend, they're looking at somewhere in the 218 to 220 million dollar range that is an astounding figure and i think that is a spectacular indication for this character unfortunately you know the marvel cinematic universe has been somewhat plagued by a overall lack of diversity things are getting better right there are more and more characters of various ethnicities and what have you in the marvel cinematic universe but if we're being fair it is still predominantly white so for a a character like this to have this level of opening and for the film to be so representative of other ethnic groups and something that other film going audience members can identify with I think that's a big deal you know I mean I've gone to opening weekend of nearly every Marvel film and in large part it is predominantly certainly white male and then to a lesser extent white male and female overwhelmingly now that's not to say that's the only people who go but that's a lot of them this was by far the most mixed audience audience I have seen for a Marvel film. And I think that's a a really good thing. You know, Marvel's always going to have its fanboys that are always going to show up to every opening weekend. That's that's going to be a thing. Just like DC has those people. Comic book movies are always going to have those people. It's how well the film reaches out to the rest of the world, to the rest of the audience. That makes the difference. And 192 million opening, that tells me we're reaching out to other people here. So my final thoughts on the film, again, it is a very solid entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm looking forward to further exploring this character. I'm looking forward to sequels and I'm looking forward forward to Avengers Infinity War. I think, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, Marvel played it safe by going back to their core formula. But having said that, the execution of that core formula was spot on. It was absolutely perfect. So if you're going to go the safe route like that, if you're going to do that, then you have to go perfect. And they absolutely executed. 
Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we will be returning to our regularly scheduled programming with Avengers number 53 in Battle Joined. All right. Hey. All right. Good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.